0: Hello, and welcome back to the Homegrown Horticulture Podcast. My name is Tom Bettis. I am a horticulturist with Utah State University Extension based in Orem, Utah. This podcast focuses on gardening and raising crops in the Intermountain West. Additionally, if you're enjoying the podcast, I would greatly appreciate any shares, telling your friends about us, and any positive reviews wherever you listen to your podcasts. This week, I want to talk about growing cherries, and is it worth it? I've mentioned on the last couple of podcasts that fruit trees can be a lot of work. They require regular maintenance, such as spraying and pruning. You can do this organically or with conventional pesticides, but if you don't, your fruit trees often fail within five to ten years, and cherry trees are not an exception. Sweet cherries grow best in USDA climatic zones 5 through 8. This means they'll generally tolerate winter temperatures down to about 20 below zero if they're fully hardened. If they get sudden temperature drops in the spring or in the fall, they can be damaged. Fruiting cherries are generally grafted onto one of two rootstocks called Mazard and Mahaleb. Mazard is slightly more common because it tolerates wetter soils than other cherry rootstocks. One disadvantage is that it allows the tree to get quite large, and if you don't prune your cherry trees, they can reach up to about 30 feet at least. Mahalub is slightly dwarfing, and so the trees will stay about 20 to maybe 25 feet tall unpruned, but it doesn't tolerate wet soils very well. So if you're using mahaleb rootstock, you need to make sure that your soil has sufficient drainage. Now, there is a newer series of cherry rootstocks called Gisela. They were developed in Germany, and they look like, if you were to spell them out, Gisela, G-I-S-E-L-A, but the pronunciation is Gisela. The advantage to these Gisela rootstocks is they're dwarfing, and so I've seen cherry trees occasionally available from local garden centers and home stores that are on what's called Gisela 6, which will keep that cherry down to about 10 to 12 feet high and wide, which for today's smaller yards is great, but if you're looking for cherries on Gisela, it's going to be harder to find them. Now, cherries are also susceptible to a number of different diseases. In the Intermountain West, the one of main concern is called carinium blight, or sometimes it's called shot hole fungus. This is a disease that appears on the leaves and it looks like after the fact that somebody has taken a shotgun or a BB gun and shot little holes throughout the leaf. What those holes were, were infections that then dried out and dropped out. But crinium blight also gets into the branches and over time can kill entire limbs and make a tree unhealthy enough that it will decline and die. Now, some other things that they're susceptible to are root rot. If they're overwatered, that will take them down very quickly and allows root diseases to get in that will clog the tissue up and prevent water from reaching the top of the tree and cause decline. Cherries are also susceptible to a number of pests. Two of the main ones are black cherry aphid and western cherry fruit fly. Black cherry aphid is usually most visible in late spring. The trees will have leafed out and started to send out new growth, and all of a sudden that new growth has leaves that start to pucker and curl. If you open those leaves up, they're sticky. If you park a car underneath, oftentimes you get aphid waste all over your car, the honeydew. And it's not generally super damaging to a tree, but it can be sometimes. Oftentimes, if you are careful with your spraying, predatory insects such as ladybugs and lacewings will take care of them within a few weeks. Occasionally, they won't, and so you may need to use some lower-risk sprays such as a horticultural soap or a summer-weight horticultural oil to help control them. Now, the other pest of main concern is the western cherry fruit fly. This is the pest that gets into the fruit. The fruit flies lay eggs on the cherries, and as they hatch, the larvae will get into the fruit, and if you've ever opened up a cherry and seen the little white worm-looking thing, that's actually a fly larvae. Western cherry fruit fly larvae are not hard to control. It does involve spraying, either organic or conventional sprays, but it can be done as long as your timing is correct. You generally apply your first spray when the cherries turn straw yellow and have just a blush of pink. You have to watch for this carefully because it can happen very quickly. The cherries start to ripen just as we're going from spring into summer, and a few 80 to 90 degree days will cause those green cherries to color up rather quickly. You need to look at your label and see how often you will need to reapply. Most sprays will last anywhere from five to seven days per application. It's also critical to have all the cherry fruit off of the tree after they ripen. If you don't pick it off and the birds don't pick it off, the fruit could be infested with cherry fruit fly larvae. These larvae will mature and eventually drop out of the fruit into the ground under the tree, making the pest load worse for the next year. As far as pruning sweet cherries and tart cherries, you can prune them a few different ways but a common method is called open center pruning. It's basically where the middle trunk is cut out and the side branches are developed into the tree canopy. Beyond this, I will post a fact sheet in the show notes on how to accomplish this style of pruning. There are dozens of varieties of sweet cherries available. Most of them will require cross-pollination That is where you grow two different varieties of the same species to get fruit. Now, this doesn't mean that you can grow a cherry and a peach and expect those to cross-pollinate. They will not. But if you want a Bing cherry and want good fruit production, you would need to plant a different cherry, such as Van or Stella, to cross-pollinate. Most of them are fairly cross-compatible as long as you don't plant two of the same tree. Planting two of the same tree doesn't work because they're genetically the same. And when they get pollinated with their own pollen, the tree recognizes that and will abort the flower. Now, one other thing that you can consider is that if the neighbors have cherry trees, and especially if they know the varieties, you may be able to plant something different and have pollination come from the neighbor's trees. Where you would then be able to just plant one. Now I want to briefly mention tart cherry trees. These are sometimes called sour cherries or or pie cherries, and they're actually a different species, and they're generally self-fruitful or self-pollinating. So you only need one. The three most common varieties that you would find locally are especially Montmorency, it's spelled M-O-N-T-M-O-R-E-N-C-Y, North Star, and then another one called Balaton. The Balaton is slightly sweeter and can be eaten fresh or used in pies and desserts. Tart cherries are generally more cold-hardy and will survive in areas such as the Cache Valley just fine. Especially the North Star was bred in the northern United States and will tolerate lots of cold weather. Tart cherries suffer from the same diseases and pests as our regular sweet cherries, but they're a nice option, especially if you have the room for them. Thank you again for listening to the Homegrown Horticulture Podcast. This is Ton Bettis, and the Homegrown Horticulture Podcast is a production of Utah State University Extension.